So really excited to continue our DNA series this morning. If you're joining us uh, for the first time, I want to echo the welcome from Oli. And also, you've caught us in the middle of a series uh, called DNA. Um, it sounds like church kind of language, right? DNA, what does that even mean? Uh, what, we want to try and, what we're trying to say is, this is who we are. This is what we believe. This is where we are going. Helping you answer the question, is this, is One Hope Church Stellenbosch where you want to put down community roots, where you want to meaningfully partner, be involved in community, and get stuck in with us. That's the question we're trying to answer through this over many week series. And what we've been looking at is kind of what we believe, which is obviously super important because that informs everything else. But what we've been looking at the past few weeks is, well, what do we do with what we believe, which is obviously also super important. So it's what we believe coming and living out through our lives. And so this morning we're going to be looking at life together, which is what does One Hope uh, community look like? What do we do as a community? Uh, how do we do life together? And so the big idea of this series, as you'll remember, has been being meaningfully part of a committed community is God's idea of what's good for us. I'm sure you've heard that many times, and we'll keep saying it. Being meaningfully part of a committed community is God's idea of what's good for us. And so this morning, I'm going to launch straight into life together and give us some reasons why community is important, then also some ways that we live out community uh, with one hope by doing life together. So we're going to get stuck straight into that. Maybe I should just quickly pray. Hey, I know we've prayed a lot, but I need prayer. Thank you, Father, that you're good and that you want to speak to us. God, help us to hear, to listen, and to obey, because you are a good God who loves us and is for us. In Jesus' name, amen. So when we think of doing anything in life, I don't know about you, but if I think of kind of uh, maybe an investment, the next investment I want to make, or even just somewhere I want to go, whatever, what's the first thing that jumps to mind? Is it the interest of others or the interest of ourselves that we put first? Is it the best interest of those around us who we're going to go and interact with that we think of first, or is it our best interest? Is it, I'm going to make this investment, what am I going to get from it, or is it, what am I going to be able to do with what I get from it for others? That's the sort of thinking, and so we're programmed mostly and drip-fed from a very young age because the culture we live in is Western culture to be very individualistic. To sum that up, we are trained, even if it's subconsciously, to put me before we. We are trained to put me before we, and that's, that's where we live. That's where we live in South Africa. We live in a Western culture, Western society. That's just the culture we live in and it's individualistic. And so putting we before me is not our default. If we think of kind of getting involved in any activities or kind of doing anything, it's always, or I found at least in my life, it's always kind of on my own terms. Not terribly worried about the others who might uh, be involved. You know, we'd kind of way rather be out on a mountain bike or on our own or in a coffee shop on our own, doing our own thing, or watching a series on our own than going out and taking time and efforts and so on to care for our community. That's just what we've been raised with in South Africa, most of us. And so as Western Christians, uh, of which all of us are, we need to work extra, extra hard at doing community, at being together, and at working Together, we need to work extra hard at plugging into community, at investing in community, at growing in community, at loving community. We need to work extra hard to sum it up at putting we before me. We really do. And I think we can all concur with that. We need to work extra hard at putting we before me. 
And so I want to invite Michelle up. Michelle Hills, you can come join me. Um, Michelle's been part of our community for about three years, and I just wanted to share a little bit of her story of what One Hope Community has meant to her. So we're going to do a quick interview. You can grab the seat on that side. There we go. You see, we chose matching outfits today. Very lovely. <laughs> Get on the <laughs> we didn't. <laughs> that was a joke. Okay, awesome. It is on, yeah. Hello. Cool, awesome, Mish. Thanks for coming and sharing with us this morning. Uh, I just wanted to ask, um, yeah, briefly, what brought you to One Hope and to um, what brought you to Staley's firstly, and what brought you to One Hope? Okay. Hi, everybody. <laughs> Um, yeah, so I'd been in Joburg for 25 years, um, a single mom for 15 years, and um, just had a, you know, life was just catching up with me and a lot of curveballs thrown my way. Um, so 25 hard years, and just got to the space where my children were grown and went off to study and found myself in a very big house on my own, so I thought it's a really good time just to um, evaluate life and explore possibilities. So I prayed about it, asked the Lord, you know, is this a chance? And nothing really happened for a year. And then um, just out of the blue, I was offered a job in Stellenbosch. And Stellenbosch hadn't actually been on my list at all. I was very much a KZN girl. So <laughs> um, yeah, and then I just followed up on that and I got the job in Stellenbosch. And within receiving the offer, packed up everything and moved down within a month. So it was quite crazy. And um, yeah, and then I got here and uh, started visiting some of the churches, had been in community in Joburg before, so in, for 25 years in a church. Um, so did recognize the importance of community and then visited quite a few churches and then settled in one. And then a friend of, well, a daughter of a friend of mine invited me to One Hope, which was New Gen at that time. Um, came as a visitor because I was just coming to visit to keep them happy and um, just really, really enjoyed Paul. I think he was like the solidness of his teaching, the sincerity of his heart. He's an amazing man. Mm. <laughs> so I just really enjoyed um, listening to him preach, um, realize this is the truth he's speaking, finding someone that's got the la uh, like heart. And then mm. Jen was just such a sweetie. She was like came over and was so welcoming and just felt mm. really warm awesome. when I came in. So, awesome. yeah, and then just never left. I stayed. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. It's been great to have you. Yeah. Um, so how have you experienced One Hope community um, in the past few years since kind of deciding to make this your, your church family? Yeah. So, um, you know, coming from Joburg, very community. I've been in church for 25 years, like I said. Um, one church for 20 and then a second church for five. So very much had the community around me. So um, I often act on my heart and not always with my head. <laughs> <laughs> so rushed down here and um, suddenly realized, wait, this is actually quite scary. And just recognized that I needed to have people around me as a single person, now not even having my children as my security. Uh, different environment, different culture, very different culture in Stellenbosch. Mm. Very young culture in Stellenbosch, so I suddenly was an old person. <laughs> so um, just a lot of changes, and um, yeah, I just realized that I needed community. So the first group I joined was Life Group, and um, yeah, you think that's going to just be cool and great, and you land up with a bunch of people that are all head people, and you're a heart person. <laughs> I know Lisa's going to laugh hysterically. <laughs> 
But these were guys that were really um, into their word. Um, I mean, we're busy with John since I've been with this church, which is nearly three years. We've been studying the book of John. <laughs> really. <laughs> I don't see Craig here, but yeah. So anyway, very much. And just realizing, you know what, the Lord is really shaking me up here. My whole foundation, everything that I've held onto, my community, my, my family, everything has been shaken. Now my, even my thoughts are being shaken, and I don't like my thoughts being shaken. So just having to really explore what it is that I actually believe in, and realizing that, you know, 25 years of comfort, your theology gets a little bit sloppy, and it was a really good time just to say, you know what, I don't actually agree with what you're saying, and debating on it, and, you know, reasoning together, and it was really a good space for me, mm. it was, um, you know, and, and just what, what was coming, I can see mm. God get establishing my foundation again, and just mm. saying, what is it that you actually believe in, Michelle, time to think, mm. and um, so really, really a good space to be in. Um, the second group I joined again, thinking it's going to be a nice bunch of girlies and have some girly time, and um, was Life on Life with Charmaine and Mandy and Danny. And also just very challenging, not just a breeze in the park. We were very different. We are very different. Very different background, very different space of life, and um, different challenges. But, and we actually battled at first. We did a program which was very much a tick the box kind of thing and we all felt like we weren't really getting anywhere with it. And, but we decided that we felt that God had pushed us into this together and just incredible how he worked us into sisters because through challenges and confrontation, doing it in godly way, learning from this program, um, yeah, um, Charmaine biting at my ankles all the time. <laughs> but really a good space just to, um, to, to stretch and grow. And um, it's, it was just really, and I really can say that I feel like they are family. We've, you know, mm. uh, Mandy with her little baby, I feel like a little granny now. <laughs> just a little one. Um, and yeah, just a really good space. Uh, um, and then the other one that I was really blessed to be a part of was the lunchtime Bible study, which was just a privilege um, was uh, with Janine and Adele, and I don't see any of them here, but um, we, did a, we do Bible studies at lunchtime. We have some lunch together. I see Jan's there. And just um, the love that came from that group. So um, when, I, when I actually got here, the job that I got was very, uh, I, I realized it's not going to be the dream job that I thought it was. And um, it wasn't a very healthy situation. Um, and after 18 months, I was actually retrenched. The company wasn't in a very good space. And um, I've actually been un unemployed for the last year. So sure. um, God settling that foundation of how am I going to trust him in this and, you know, having the community mm. around me just to get me through that. So the Life on Life, uh, life, on life was with Shar and that. That was almost like knitting together and making an effort to be a part of a family. And then the, the Bible study on a Thursday, um, Adele would just remind me all the time, it's okay, God is bigger, God is bigger. And she would say to me, he loves you, just trust him. Mm. So it was a place where I could just melt. I could just say, you know what, I can't do this. I just can't do this. Mm. I just can't do this. And she, they would always say to me, you can't do this, but God can do this. Mm. And um, just, I mean, the fact that, it's November, yeah. and I haven't had—I haven't been employed in a permanent position since February. 
Um, the church has supported me. Paul has been amazing. Um, uh, friendships that have supported me. The fact that I'm still standing is just, I mean, it's by God's grace and glory that I really, mm. I, I, mm. it's not logical. Okay. It doesn't make head sense. It makes heart <laughs> sense. It doesn't make head sense. <laughs> sure. Tell us about what happened recently um, on job stuff. So, um, again, through the church, um, people telling people telling people, and, and Bates asked me to share, I think, last week, Tuesday. Mm. And on Thursday, I, or Friday, I actually received a job offer mm. contract sure. in my inbox, which I'm going to sign this evening and send off tomorrow. Sure. And again, that was through Charmaine at my ankles all the time, like, did you find the guy? No, it's just a temporary job, Char, I don't know if it's right. Have you found the guy? No, Char, it's not really my line of work. It's completely different. Have you found the guy? <laughs> like Charmaine. <laughs> and just awesome. following up, and it's through, you know, this person knowing that person. Mm. And, uh, you know, the, the people in Life Group that just found people to say, just phone this person. Mm. This person might have something. And the, mm. the, it was just the support. Um, so I, I just really, you know, just mm. been amazing. Beautiful. Cool. Mesh, could you just share um, just a final word with us, anything you'd want to leave us with as you finish sharing this morning? Okay. Um, sorry, but life is going to throw you some curveballs. <laughs> it's not going to all be rosy. Uh, maybe, maybe not, maybe just me, but... Um, Jesus, really, if you keep your eyes on him, if you do a study and you look at what happened to people that kept their eyes on Jesus, their lives were never the same. Um, mm. He is the son of God. He is who he says he is. He'll do mm. what he says he'll do. Um, keep your eyes on him and um, definitely keep your arms around the community around you. Because... Mm. Um, but by the grace of God, here go I. And mm. thank you to each and everyone. That's, I mean, I've, it's just been amazing. It's, it's awesome. been a very hard year, but it's been a good year. Mm. <laughs> awesome. Thanks, Mish. Can we give a round of applause? Thanks so much. Awesome. So that's just a beautiful testimony of just a small taste of one hopers, various of them, putting we before me in Mish's life, which is beautiful. Thanks for sharing, Mish. And so I want to answer the question of why, why do we believe that community is so important? Why do we believe that one anothering is so important? Knowing one another, having genuine friendships, genuine community is so important. And if we're going to answer any of these questions in our space, it ought to be based on something that is unchanging, and that is the Bible. That is God's Word. Because if it's not, it's just not going to stand the test of time, the test of trials, the test of distraction. It's just not. So we ought to base what we believe on the Word of God. And so I want to look at two good reasons from the Bible this morning of why we believe committed community is so important. And so let's have a look at the first one. And it's a very simple point, but God loves community. And so right before anything was made, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, community, beautiful community existing. God in his essence exists in community. That should be enough. We can go home. <laughs> community is that important that God himself exists in community. And not just that, he invites people 
broken, fallen people like us to enter into a community with him and in that into healthy community with one another. And so there are a whole bunch of recurring themes throughout Scripture. It's beautiful to study a whole lot of them. The uh, God's presence with us theme. Um, there's a whole bunch. Tabernacle themes, kingdom themes. There's a whole bunch of them. And if you follow them through Scripture, it beautifully helps us get to know God better, experience uh, what He's done in the world and how He's been at work in the world. But I want to look at one theme this morning, which is kind of an overarching theme throughout Scripture, and it's talking about God and His people. God and His people. And I'm going to do this in a kind of a very uh, brief, high-level overview look at God and his people throughout the biblical story, just looking at eight scenes in the scriptures. So if we can pop that timeline up, I don't know about for you guys, but these sorts of things are helpful for me, kind of orientating ourselves in history. So if we look at that side of the screen, we see creation, that's right at the beginning. When things started, we look at that side, the other side, we get new creation. When Jesus returns one day, in the middle, uh, year zero is uh, the year Jesus was born. And if you see all the names in blue on top there, those are the characters who God comes and speaks to. And I'm going to work through a few scriptures that were spoken to those guys at eight different points in history. And so you see they progress through time right up until John at the end there gets this wonderful revelation of what the future holds for us as Christ followers. And so let's start. Scene one, we've got Garden of Eden. At Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, God's first people, he wants to be with him. And so he makes a garden, creates them, and walks with them in the garden. Genesis 3, 8 and 9. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? This is a changing point in history. Adam and Eve disobey the one command God's given them. They sin against him. They rebel against them. The first ever sin ever recorded. And God doesn't just turn his face away. He wants to still be with him. He gives them a chance. He's like, where are you guys? He knows full well where they are. He put them there. He can see them. He says, Adam, where are you? He's making that invitation for them to come back into relationship with him. God loves to be with his people. And so we see the very first incident of God interacting with people. He wants to be their God and for them to be his people in right relationship. And then we skip on a few uh, thousand, or uh, yeah, a few thousand years, most likely, to a guy called Abraham. God makes a covenant with him. What is a covenant? It's a promise that God will never break. He makes a promise to Abraham that he will never break. Abraham's the very first follower of God, by the way, and this is what he says to him in Genesis chapter 17 and verse 7. I will confirm my covenant with you and your descendants after you from generation to generation. This is the everlasting covenant. I will always be your God and the God of your descendants after you. We then skip along a few hundred years. Uh, we go to a guy called Moses. He's a pretty significant leader of God's people, the Israelites. And uh, God's busy promising to deliver the Israelites from the slavery of Egypt that they've been in for 400 years. And God says this to Moses in Exodus chapter 6. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. We skip along to scene four, some thousand or so years later, and God speaks to a man called Ezekiel. He was a, he was a prophet. Him and Jeremiah lived very uh, close to one another in history. Um, 
And he told him this. He needed to remind the Israelites of this one point. Ezekiel 36. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. Are we getting this? There's a refrain that's being repeated throughout the history of the biblical narrative. I will be your people. Uh, sorry, I will be your God. You will be my people. Scene five, then we get a taste of what's to come in the person of Jesus through the prophet Jeremiah. He was 600 years before Jesus came to earth. Jeremiah said these things. Um, said this in Jeremiah 31. The days are coming in the future. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant, a new promise with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. And by the way, it was made to the people of Israel and Judah, but that new covenant benefits us. So it applies to all the world. He says this, carries on. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. You're getting this, hey guys? Awesome. Scene six, Jesus shows up in human form. We hear now on the AD side of history, after Jesus' birth, Anna Domini, the year of our Lord. Jesus, God in human form, arrives in history, and he makes a way for all nations to come to Jesus, not just Israel anymore. He lives 33 years or so, lives this perfect life, is murdered by the Romans, dies, rises again, appears to his Jewish disciples, by the way, they were ethnic Jews, appears to them, his best friends and kind of followers, and he says this, famously written of the Great Commission in Matthew 28, Jesus came to them, he said this, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. Praise God, we would not be sitting here this morning if it were not for Jesus coming and making a way that all nations, that's us, any ethnic Jews here this morning? None of us. Okay, all of us then, that's us, all nations. Thank you, Jesus, because he opened the way that all people could come and be the people of God. Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. God doesn't leave his people. He wants to be with his people. I will be with you always to the very end of the age. That's us, all nations. He says, you will be my people, I will be your God. Almost done. Scene seven, just moments, uh, maybe probably a few days or even hours later, Jesus uh, is just about to ascend into heaven uh, where he now seats and he uh, is now seated and he says to those very same disciples, Luke 24, he says this, and now I will send the Holy Spirit just as my father promised. But stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. And so Jesus, he's here in the physical form. Imagine he was here in the room with us. He's there with the disciples in the room. And he says, guys, I'm just about to go. They've been journeying with him for three, three years-ish, I guess. They've known him. They've got to know him while he's like, cheers, I'm off. They're like, oh, damn, <laughs> this is a problem. You're the king. You're the one who's going to save the world. What's going on? And he says, I must go so that the promised Holy Spirit can come and be with you. And just 10 days later, the Holy Spirit comes and descends on those very same guys and lives with them. And the very same Holy Spirit comes and indwells every follower of Jesus since that time forward. So we don't, we don't get the person of Jesus face to face. We get him in us, with us, around us at all times. God with his people. I will be your God. You will be my people.
And then we have this wonderful final scene in Revelation, a future day which we wait for as Christ follows, when Jesus will return and he will culminate all the promises he's made to us to be our God and for us to be his people. Revelation 21 says this, Then I saw a new heavens and a new earth. This is John writing of this incredible vision he was given by God of what the future will hold. Then I saw a new heavens and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for a husband. Beautiful, in other words. The new creation is beautiful. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying this. Check it out. Are we there? Behold, the dwelling place of God is with Man, that promise has been fulfilled. God returns just like he was in the garden, but even better, in a city, in the new Jerusalem, with his people. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be there, will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And so if we track through uh, that very brief, high-level overview of this kind of theme of God with his people through history, if we can grab that timeline quickly again, we see God saying to his people, I will be your God, you will be my people. And we see him coming and fulfilling that. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. And so history as we know it starts in a garden with God dwelling with his people. And then we track through biblical history and God's making a people for himself. He's dwelling with them. We hear that refrain that we've heard now for the past seven minutes or so. I will be your God and you will be my people. And then one day, and we look forward to this day in the future, Jesus will return. He'll wrap up all of human history and God will come into a city. It started in a garden. It'll end in a city with God dwelling with his people, God himself with his people. All those promises fulfilled in a moment that's to come in the future. If you're a Christ follower, that is a beautiful moment to look forward to. That is our hope. And so God loves community. I think you get that, hey? He says, I'll be your God. You will be my people, not you will be my person. He loves individuals, sure, but he loves community. He loves us being together with him, with him in community, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He loves it when people are in community with him and with one another. And so what's the point here? God's made a people for himself, and he loves to be in community with his people. And if you're a Christ follower here this morning, as we grow in our journey with Jesus, we start to love the things that he loves. And so if he loves community, we start to love community. If he's invested in community, we start to invest in community. We start to grow in healthy community. And we all know with what we do with things that we love, right? We do something about them. We act. And so God loves community. That's our first motive and reason and uh, your idea on why we think community is so important for us. And then the second point has this lovely title called One Anothering One Another. And this is from uh, uh, Andy Stanley quote. He says this, the primary activity of the church 
was one anothering one another. He's referring to the early church and he's saying their primary activity was one anothering one another. You get that? Does that make sense? One anothering one another. Okay, it doesn't make sense yet. We're going to get there. Okay. Remind that. Uh, remember that. One another and one another. Just a few weeks back, Paulo spoke about these one another commands. I don't know if you remember, there was a handed out sheet that was given to us. whole ton of one another commands that were given to us as the church. And Paul convinced us in that moment that we need community, that we made for community, and that the local church is God's idea for his community. And so I'm going to reiterate that point a little this morning. Um, that we made for community, that we really do need as humans meaningful human relationships. We just don't do well on our own. There are very few people in the world who will survive as hermits. Very, very few. Most of us need and desire community. That's the way God's made us. And so the word one another appears a hundred times in 94 New Testament verses. 47 of those are given to us at the church. Uh, they're given by, some of them by Jesus, some of them by his first apostles, Paul, Peter, John, and James. And one-third of those one-another commands look at the unity of the church. About one-third of them look at or give instructions around loving one another within the church. About 15% speak about humility amongst one another, and then there are a whole bunch of others. So let's have a brief look at an example of a few of them. I'm going to rattle through this list, but it's amazing. Okay, you ready? This is what we're commanded to do as the church. Bear with one another and forgive one another. Seek good for one another. Confess sins to one another. Love one another. Give preference to one another. Regard one another as more important than yourselves. Serve one another. Speak truth to one another. Comfort one another concerning the resurrection. Encourage and build up one another. Stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Pray for one another. Be hospitable to one another. And that's just the start. <laughs> the list goes on, guys. Is it, is it clear? Like, we are called to one another, one another, <laughs> as the Christian church. So maybe that's a good definition of Christian community, is Jesus' followers, one anothering one another. Still not making sense. Okay. <laughs> not my fault, you're blaming on Andy. <laughs> and so I would say... If we're looking at what a healthy community or Christian community looks like, I would say it's followers of Jesus, empowered by the Spirit, obeying the commands of Jesus towards one another. Followers of Jesus, empowered by the Spirit, obeying the commands of Jesus towards one another. And so when we do this, it's costly, right? It takes time, it takes energy. It takes prayer, it takes thought, it takes all these things. It does cost us. And primarily, when we do love one another, when we do things together, it's not for our benefit primarily. It's for the benefit of those whom we're loving, serving, caring for, praying for, deferring to, forgiving, and for the glory of God. It's primarily for others. It's outward focused before it's for us. And so that is troublesome when you live in an individualistic society like we do because we put me before we. <laughs> and so we really do need... As One Hope Church, as the church in our town, as the church in our world, we need the empowering of the Holy Spirit to help us put we before me. To put we before me. And so God's given us all talents. He's given us gifts. He's given us blessings. He's given us encouragements. He's given us all sorts, all primarily for the sake of others and for his glory. And so it's, it's 
almost impossible to live as a genuine Christ follower in all its fullness outside of genuine, committed Christian community. Josh, can you join me up here, bro? Where are you? Okay, Josh is my volunteer for this morning. He pleaded with me to be my volunteer for this morning. (laughs) Bro, you can just stand over here. And um, Josh, what I'm going to ask you to do, bro, this is super easy. I'm just going to ask you to do three of the one another commands. Okay, so this is not high level. This is community 101, really not advanced. I'll back you, bro. You can do it. You ready? Okay, first one. Uh, confess your sins to one another. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, that's a tough one. I get it. It's hard to be vulnerable. I hear you. Okay, next one. Uh, pray for one another. You can't pray with your split personality, bro. <laughs> so that's a tough one as well, but I get it. It's hard to pray with others. Let's try one more. Serve one another. <laughs> Josh, you're going to have to take this class again, bro, next year. Sorry, good effort, though. Well done. Well done, Josh. You did super well. Okay. So it's a silly illustration, isn't it? But the point is we cannot perform the one another commands outside of community. It just doesn't happen on our own. The Bible is big into one anothering one another. That's all I'm saying. And so we can't, if we can't obey a whole lot of these commands, then we actually can't love God. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. How are you going to keep the commands to do all these one another things if you're not with others? You just can't. And so what happens is you actually just have to take out a whole lot of the New Testament specifically because you just cannot obey it. Um, And so God's called us to one another, one another. And so those are two kind of biblical arguments around why we love community, why we think it's important. God loves it. And we're made for it. God loves it and we're made for it. I want to say to you this morning, if you're joining us for the first time, you're looking in, you're like, what is this Christian thing? I want to say to you, you are so welcome here. You are so welcome in this space. Thank you for coming and having the bravery to check out this place and see what it's all about. We really do live in a very, very lonely world. Millions of people around us, yet... We're all alone much of the time, connected to everybody, yet nobody really knows us. And so the search for community, the search for connection to other people runs deep within every single one of our DNAs. That's why we have these sport clubs, community clubs, uh, studying together things. That's why we do that. We so desire at our deepest level, whether we're introverted or extroverted, to have meaningful relationship with other people, every one of us. And so when we try and fill that need with others who are separate from God, it's temporary. It doesn't last because when they go, the need returns. And so the only kind of community that truly fills that void, that fills that gap and that hunger that we have for community is community with God and with his people because that's eternal. That'll never ever end. Never. So I want to say to you, if you are looking in this morning and there's a hunger in your heart for community, for genuine friendship, for genuine love that's found in God and his people. And I want to encourage you to come and check that out here. We're not perfect at all. 
but you'll find some people who love God and want to love you and journey with you. So you're super welcome here. So what is One Hope doing, guys, to facilitate community? I'm going to be about 10 more minutes, so bear with me, and then we're done. What is One Hope doing to facilitate community at this point? If we believe it's important, surely we're going to be doing something about it, right? And we are. We're putting together a bunch of things uh, weekly, monthly, annually to facilitate community happening. These things are not community in and of themselves that I'm going to talk about at all. Sunday is not community. People interacting with one another, loving one another, caring for one another, that's community. And so we create a bunch of stuff to facilitate community actually happening. Genuine community doesn't happen without genuine relationships. That's a fact. And so I want to encourage each one of us, no matter where you are at this point, to get stuck in to community in some way, shape, or form to get involved with what we're already doing. And so you may ask the question, but One Hope doesn't have a single men's ministry. That's right, we don't. But what we do have is life groups in which single men are in, in which you can grow in God. And so you can get involved there. There's a bunch of stuff we don't have, but there's a bunch of stuff we do have. And we really believe that God can grow community in those things that are already happening. So I encourage you to get involved in those. And so as one hope, here are kind of three primary community areas. Um, three kind of legs upon which this community uh, can be formed in this church. First one is Sundays. Right here. Right where we are. I want to encourage you, this is a great starting point. We get to worship together, sing together. We get to pray uh, for one another. We get to share in God's word together. We get to meet people, get to start knowing people, get to build relationships uh, in this space. We get to be with one another weekly. Who else other than your family and your colleagues are you with weekly? Probably not many people, right? So this is a place where we get to gather together and all are welcome here. I want to say to you, you don't need to believe to belong here. You can come and check this place out. Experience Christian community. And all of other community within One Hope blossoms from Sundays. So Sundays are the first kind of pillar of primary community interaction in our church. And then next one is life groups. Who's involved in a life group here? Who's involved in a life group? Can I ask the life group leaders quickly to stand? Quick sticks. Okay, we have got 12 life groups um, in our church. You guys can sit. Thank you so much. We've got 12 life groups in our church, uh, raging and angels and dynamics and all sorts. Life groups are where, this, that's like the, the uh, boiling pot of community. That's where the tacky hits the tar, is within life groups. It's a good one, huh? Within our community. Um, that's where we get to really do life together on a smaller scale. So Sundays are quite a public moment. That's a moment to just get to really know one another. I can't, can't encourage us strongly enough to be involved in a life group. And yeah, it does require some sacrifice, does require some time, but it's so, so worth it. And I'd say that's the testimony of almost everybody who's involved in life groups in this community. And so what do we do in life groups? That's a great question. We do basically these four things. We pray. We care for one another, we share with one another, and we, tell, and we talk to one another about God's Word. So we pr there's prayer, praying for one another, there's care, compassionate towards one another, caring for what's going on, knowing one another, growing in love for one another. There's sharing, we're generous towards one another. We share our stuff, 
we share our time, we share our energy, we share what we have with one another, and then there's declaring. We declare God's word to one another. We tell one another, we remind one another of God, what he's done, what he's doing, what he's said. And so that's what life group spaces basically entail. Beautiful spaces to grow in community. And so that's the second pillar of our community, and I'd say the real space where community really uh, gets into the depths of our life. And then the third one is prayer meetings. And so a Christian community that doesn't pray together doesn't stay together. <laughs> That's a good one, huh? It's probably Andy Stanley as well, so we give him credit for that. Okay. Um, and that's a fact, guys. I must say, praying together does something in your heart towards others. Praying for others, praying to God for others, praying with one another. Man, it does something to just knit us together to one another. We get to pray for our community. We get to pray, cry out to God. And then the beautiful thing is to get to see him answer prayer together. It's so incredible. It's so, so incredible. And so prayer meetings are a special space. We pray on Sunday mornings. We pray uh, monthly and I pray and fast in the evenings. These are great places to grow in community in this space. And then there are a whole bunch of other events. I'll briefly mention a few of them that we do. The one is events. There's men's events. There's marriage events. There's a whole ton of events. And these are great little touch points in the year where you can come and meet people. You can come and interact with people throughout the year. We have discipleship groups, which are smaller groups, intentionally growing in God together, getting to know one another. We have Bible studies where guys are getting stuck into the scriptures together, pursuing God together. We have connect lunches, which is people who are checking out One Hope for the first time, coming and social and hanging out and getting to know people in our community. We have camps, student camp, uh, family camp. By the way, we've got another family camp happening next year. Praise Jesus. Awesome. Um, that's going to be happening at the end of August. And student camp again is going to be happening in Easter weekend next year. So it's going to be epic out in Sutherland. Sign up ASAP. Um, <laughs> camps are a great space. <laughs> it's funny with camps. It's kind of like the space where... Uh, you're going somewhere for a purpose, right? So you don't drive like an hour and pay a whole lot of money to waste your time. And so it's amazing how when we do that, we just connect with one another, we hear from God, and it's a great community uh, moment. Then serving together, serving in this church, serving with our Surf Stelly's partners. These are amazing places to rub shoulders with one another. Think of some of my kids' church leaders who we, we lead together, and some don't really know each other that well outside of the kids' ministry space, and that's been a space where people have now got to know one another, got to connect with community in a deeper way. And then eating together in one another's homes. What a wonderful thing to eat together, huh? Around one another's tables, enjoying life together. And so those are some other areas where we facilitate community in this space. I want to say this thing. If you're not feeling connected to this community or you're not feeling like this is family, I want to just encourage you with this. I challenge you to commit to being part of just two or three of these moments that we facilitate for community to happen and see what God does. Commit to them regularly, just for one year or six months even and see what God does and how he knits hearts together. And I know I know that happens is because of the testimony of so many people who have done that, that simple act of committing to community and just being so knitted in and seeing this become like a family. Not just attending, but participating. Not just eating from the food, but helping wash the dishes, being part of the family. And so the thing is, we, we often live following our emotions. And so if we don't feel connected, we disconnect. But the fact is that our emotions follow 
our decisions. And so if we decide to connect, we get meaningfully involved, we invest of our treasure in this space, our hearts start to follow and our emotions start to follow and we start to feel part of family. And so I want to ask you the question, where are you connected to One Hope Community? Where are you connected to One Hope Community? And do you need to make a decision to just commit regularly? Maybe it's for six months, maybe even three months, to one or two of those areas regularly and consistently and be known in this house. Just before we land, I want us to take one minute to think about this question. This has been extremely like a diagnostic question on my own heart around community life. Can we listen carefully? I'm going to ask the question twice. I'm going to give us a minute just to think about it. And then we're going to go into our landing for this morning. Here's the question. What would this church look like if everyone loved like you do, served like you do, and gave like you do? What would this church look like if everyone loved like you do, served like you do, and gave like you do? That is a great diagnostic question, isn't it? <laughs> and it's a little bit, uh, yeah, it's a little bit humbling actually, but it's a good one to ask. And so I started off by saying we're born into a culture that puts me before we, but we're born again into a culture that puts we before me. That is Christian community. What would our town look like? What would our church look like if we did that? If we one anothered one another, if we took time to really serve one another out of love, if we took time to really care for one another, to think about one another, to pray for one another, to defer to one another, to forgive one another, I can't even imagine what this community would look like. And you know what it would do? It would be, it would be completely, uh, it would be unavoidably attractive to those who aren't part of our community. That's what would happen. Because we know that every single human in this whole town, in fact, in the world, desires healthy, well, desires healthy community, meaningful human interactions. When we live like that, and if we lived like that, man, our town would not look the same. I'm telling you. This space would not look the same. We wouldn't have enough chairs to put out here on a Sunday morning. I'm telling you. That's what happened. I believe it's one of the greatest displays of the gospel we can give is when you put we before me. But we need the Spirit to empower us to do that because it's not our default. And we have the incredible example in Jesus. He did the ultimate act of putting we before me. He gave his life for us. That is the ultimate act of sacrificial love and community living. John 15, 12 to 13. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no man than this than to lay down one's life for one's friend. Can I ask us to stand this morning as we respond to the message?